this is going to be a fun and exciting episode of <laughs> the Ben and Brand Sea of Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Ben Friedman, and I am doing the worst Jeff Goldblum impression. And as I'm your I was co-host, doing it, uncomfortable. Yeah, and as I was doing it, I realized how bad it sounded and how little I had thought the joke through <laughs> that I was saying it, and I'm like, I have nowhere to go from here. So you that just, just you just gotta keep it in. But we're gonna keep it in uh, because this week I oh, always boy. do this thing each week when we're talking about the podcast, Branson, where I try to like hint or like save what we're movie we're talking about and then i realized we just post the title yeah on the podcast and i'm like okay so we're talking about the fly and me yes. trying to like be coy about it everyone who's listening to this yeah, knows you've what already we're we've about. spoiled it <laughs> we've yeah. spoiled it two minutes so, in the past i always try to save it but yeah it's and the it fly never, yeah it's the fly we're talking about 1986's i believe the mm-hmm. fly with jeff goldblum yes and this movie's disgusting, which we're yeah. going to get into. But before we get into that, Branson, I just want to tell you this disgusting story that happened to me while driving home from work today. Oh, please do. So I was driving. Ben uh, and Brand share an anecdote. Yeah. I was driving back from work and I had my windows down. I was blasting uh, All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix. Ooh, great song. In my Prius. Everyone's so, first Jimi Hendrix song, yeah. I think. So I was driving in my Prius, cars shaking. I'm driving through the road and I'm like, what is that thing to the side? And I'm like, what is that? Like, is that like, it's like in the middle lane. So it, but it's like kind of in the lane I'm in. Uh, like ahead of like, you? Yeah. Just ahead of me. Okay. And I'm like, this is weird. I'm like, but it just kind of looks like a pile of clothes. And uh-huh. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'll just kind of run over it. It's no big deal. Oh no. Dead turkey. Oh. Just in the middle. And of course I run over it. So I see bits kind of just fly no. up and my window's wide open. No. So it kind of just splatters. Oh. And it's disgusting. So I, can't I just think luckily that's... didn't like get on me or really in my car, oh, but I did wow. clean a part of my car, the side of that car, and it was just oh. turkey blood all over my oh, car. Oh, Benjamin. Oh, it's disgusting. Oh, but... my word. I can't think of a better anecdote for, uh, for this week's episode. <laughs> Yeah. of Ben and Brand's a movie. Yes. Wow, that's disgusting. It was horrible, and I hated every second of that. Yeah, and I can imagine. I guess it's good because I was already in a disgusting mood because I finished watching The Fly last night at around 1 a.m. I finished it a little this bit movie ago. This movie is disgusting. That mm-hmm. is, if you were to put one word to describe this movie, it's nauseating. Yeah, Impressively disgusting. Yeah, it's... I when I t- you and I talked yesterday right before uh, we both started watching the movie independently, mm-hmm. and I said, "Is Brenna your wife going to watch it?" And I, you're like, "Absolutely I don't think so. not." And I'm like, "Good," because I was about to tell you, "Don't let her watch it." Oh, absolutely not. I was like, "Bren, I don't don't <laughs> come in any at all." Yeah, I this is for your own good. This isn't because I want to avoid you. Um, yeah. Oh, totally. But, but yeah. I'm gonna throw it over to you. Branson to just kick us off with the film historian. The so, film historian. Please uh, tell us about this movie. So, yes, as we've established, this is the 1986 uh, David Cronenberg directed remake of The Fly. This is rated R, um, and it's starring Jeff Goldblum as uh, Seth Brundle, Dr. Seth Brundle, uh, Gina Davis as Veronica, 
and John Getz as uh, Stathis or Stathis, which is a very cool name. Uh, the movie was made on an around $15 million budget, uh, but at the boss, box office, it uh, over quadrupled its uh, budget with a $60.6 million box office. Wow. Um, and then and just another little fact on IMDb, it was rated 7.6 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 92. Um, it's David Cronenberg, so obviously he's the grandpappy of um of body horror and yeah and sci-fi horror uh oops i made a big mistake we run a movie podcast and i don't know my movies uh <laughs> david cronenberg uh, some of the other works that he's done are videodrome the fly uh scanners which is famous for the head explosion scene which was done with a watermelon i believe um so uh yeah he's got quite a few big cult classics um you know uh he is very good at making disgusting things yeah and it's weird to say that this movie is probably the most accessible of his filmography yeah yeah i would say i would, I would say so i i've never seen videodrome uh but um just knowing the little bit that i know about it i know the general plot and it's far more uh unnerving yeah he comes from this he comes from this era of filmmakers doing body horror that includes david lynch Mm -hmm. uh in that same period who Mm -hmm. they're just going john carpenter of course from the thing Mm -hmm. they're just going crazy with animatronics blood gore Mm -hmm. and the 80s is kind of this like amazing time if you're a fan of that type of movies like the 80s is like the golden age of that crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never I, been like the biggest fan of it, but like same. I it's it's too unnerving and I think it's like I don't know if it has something to do with empathy, but uh yeah, there are some specific scenes uh really in the middle it grossed me out more than at the end. I agree. I I think the middle of this movie is the most disgusting. Mm-hmm. And I guess let's just start going into it. We're yeah. going to we're going to go a little bit different this week on the show we're gonna try it out i'm not actually gonna start with my hill to die on i'm gonna bring that up more into the once we get closer to the end because i think it just relates better Mm. at that point but branson i don't know what your hill to die on is it one that you want to talk about now or do you want to hold it yeah i i think it kind of um encapsulates the whole movie without uh getting into spoiler or too much context i'm assuming that yours has some context behind it that needs to be yeah um so i the fly um is a really impressive showcase of the power of practical special effects um mm, I like and that a lot. i gross <laughs> impressive <laughs> special effects uh and it almost distracts from the awkward dialogue especially in the first act interesting i think mm-hmm. we're gonna have a little bit of a disagreement again this week and I'm just going to share my first note. Mm-hmm. That's not regard- a negative review by any means. The dialogue was really the only thing that I noticed that was like a little funky. Okay. But most most of it is pretty good. It was mostly <laughs> it was mostly uh Gina Davis's lines that that Interesting. were Interesting. So we are going to have a little bit of disagreement here. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to start with the first thing I wrote for my notes for this movie. 
and I just simply wrote the phrase Goldblum with the sexiest mullet I've ever seen. Sexiest <laughs> underlined five times. <laughs> and I don't know Man. how else we start this movie without just talking about the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Goldblum. Goldblum. Dude, this oh. guy is so amazing. He's so fantastic. He has such a range as an actor. And he no really, film yeah. showcases it better than this. We are introduced to Jeff Goldblum as Dr. Seth Rundle. And he is trying to impress Gina Davis's character uh, by getting her to come back to his laboratory to mm. see an experiment. And that's just... Yes. That's the beginning of the first act. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's and our that introduction first, to this character. Yeah, that first scene with him, um, he's Gina Davis, uh, her character Veronica is a journalist and um, she and Seth are, she's interviewing Seth kind of at this uh, science symposium. And it's this very stark, white, clinical, almost art gallery location. And it yeah. um, very quickly establishes this stark difference between uh, Seth's, lab which is very uh it's lit up but it's still very dark and gritty and industrial you know so um it it matches the sort of like scientific sci-fi body horror that is is to come yes and in regards to Goldblum's character seth brendel from the beginning we just get this perfect encapsulation of who he is he is a genius but he is a little awkward. shy. He's mm -hmm. awkward. He's neurotic for sure. Oh, yeah. He is nervous yet funny. You can mm -hmm. understand why a woman like Gina Davis would be instantly attracted to him because he does have this passion about his work. But he also has this look out. He has this look on humanity that seems optimistic in mm -hmm. some ways. He, mm -hmm. he he really is this great character that's just established right from the get-go mm -hmm. he has this humor that's just unmatched where the magic yeah, word, that sort of awkward humor yeah the magic word is cheeseburger as oh. he says and that's like the how he gets her to go on a date with Man, him that's a magic word her, that works for me yeah and he just takes her to a literally like the most disgusting looking cheeseburger restaurant i've ever seen like <laughs> I, yeah it's like the the cheeseburger restaurant behind the local ballpark yeah it just does not look good like and gina davis points it out in the movie she's like this looks disgusting <laughs> and i think it's just this perfect encapsulation of who what goldblum is as an actor but also who he is as this character you just mm -hmm. have an instant connection with him Mm -hmm. which is sometimes really hard to do with scientists yeah yeah he's he's not so overly clinical mm -hmm. um he's got this he's got he's very smart in this movie and he has this sort of einstein he references einstein and uh reminded me of steve jobs with just how he dresses himself he wears the same suit he has five sets of the same suit um and he's like i don't i don't have to devote any brain power to what i'm gonna wear that day because it's already picked out for me mm. um which is also kind of a bad uh jeff goldblum in, in impression <laughs> so we're we're in the same boat there but um yeah he is a he's a likable character in the the moments where i was like oh i don't know about him 
it's it's so easily uh chalked up to just him being you know awkward and devoted to his work and not really having a life like he 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 says to gina davis like you can observe me throughout this entire process of of these uh teleportation pods um and you won't get in the way of anything because i don't really have a life yeah and so he takes back gina davis to his lab and we find out that he is working on essentially teleportation he Mm -hmm. can break down atoms and reassemble them somewhere else in a different time not a time machine sorry uh well uh transporter essentially Mm -hmm. and that is telepods yes telepods and that's his big breakthrough that he is near working on we see him do it with inanimate objects he's struggling however to do it with flesh as he calls it he doesn't understand the question of flesh i believe is how he describes it Mm -hmm. yeah he says the computer loses something in translation and uh an example of what happens is the first touch of the little cronenberg magic uh that you know affects you differently if you've just eaten uh is the baboon test yep disgusting Um, oh so gross but it it sets up like the the consequences like the possible consequences um and you know foreshadows a little bit of what's to come he essentially teleports this baboon and then what happens to it the baboon essentially not essentially i think it turns inside out yeah is that correct is that how yeah that i think happens? that's how he describes but it. it doesn't die it's completely turned inside out so you see the flesh the blood the veins everything and you still see it twitching and moving mm. and it's a disgusting oh. gross sequence and one that is give me the rumbly compared to the rest of the movie yeah which is pretty shocking but mm-hmm. it works because again like you said it sets up the consequences of the mm-hmm. dangers of this and the realities i guess of destroying atoms and trying to reassemble them and what i like specifically about that bamboo (laughs) not my day i'm just gonna call it a monkey (laughs) and what i like particularly about that monkey sequence is how he responds to it when he sees that it's failed he's just like he has to gina davis is recording him for this book that she now is writing that he's given her access to write and he has to respond immediately say what's gone wrong and it's he doesn't overreact he just simply like looks at it as a scientist and says oh well the i have to teach the computer basically to understand flesh yeah um or I, his first reaction is shouting the f word yes uh, it which is, is technically which is right. fair it is anger at the first scene. Mm-hmm. um but uh you know, with the whole telepod and and trying to figure out, um, you know, how to how to transport organic matter, um, just the the process, like the computer visuals, are really neat. I love them. Yeah. They're they're simple. They look appropriate for the time. Um, they're used effectively. It gives you like kind of an idea of what's about to happen but you don't exactly know and it's Mm -hmm. used throughout the movie um especially with the analysis of of you know when when seth is trying to figure out what's going on with him there's this cool scene where he's going through the the computer and asking it queries of like what happened 
show me the analysis and then it kind of like does these little microscopic analyses and and stuff but yeah that computer is really cool yeah i like that a lot and so as this is happening we get these two characters following in falling in love which is a great transition from jeff goldblum's character seth talking about he has to learn how to tell the computer about the flesh to him falling in love uh with gina davis's character and consummating Mm -hmm. their relationship as pc as i can say that yes that was very safe yes and it's a it's actually a very sweet moment when you see these two characters start to fall for each other Mm -hmm. uh when after they first kiss he has a really i i did i did find it a little rushed okay did you i thought it was very natural i thought from the beginning you see this attraction and they just have this chemistry instantly that when that scene eventually happens i believe that chemistry and that Mm -hmm. relationship and maybe it helps knowing that jeff goldblum and gina davis were in a relationship and married at this time of the movie's release Mm -hmm. so that makes it a little easier to accept their relationship because there is that natural chemistry already inbound in their characters Mm -hmm. yeah they they definitely do have chemistry and you know it it um it's it's not undeserved uh for sure i just thought it was a little rushed and it's a fair veronica has some awkward awkward phrases i'll give you that it's an hour and a half movie so sometimes Mm -hmm. it does move a little too fast for its own good i prefer when a movie rushes while still being able to hit those points instead of slow down and just like all right drags on so i prefer it being Mm -hmm. a little bit faster paced so i was fine with it yeah. But I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. But uh, given does... given oh, yeah. that given that hour 36 minute runtime, it's pretty well paced. Yeah. And he has this one line in particular uh right after they kiss that I love where is this a romance we're having? Cuz <laughs> it's again this human moment for him cuz he actually doesn't understand romance. Yeah. He doesn't understand like what this is. He doesn't understand if it's just a hookup, if if it's more, if there's feelings. Was this her just relieving stress, just her attractive, whatever it was. She doesn't understand it. So he has to ask that simple question because Mm -hmm. he needs that answer because he doesn't know. And we're talking about being a human character. One Mm -hmm. of my favorite things about Seth Brundle in this movie is the reason he decides to make the transport is such a human reason that we never see in movies. He doesn't Mm -hmm. make it because he's a scientist, this mad scientist who's trying to do something. He gets car sick. That's yeah. that's the reason he makes it. He, yeah. he doesn't want to travel. And sick and air yeah. sick. <laughs> so he's like, if I can just transport everywhere, like I'm not going to get car sick. Motion yeah. sickness. Yeah. Brilliant. It's mm-hmm. he's he's trying to solve it for such he a sees, little thing. He for sees him. the problem and he he needs a like, solution. Yeah. Yeah. So very works, very understandable. It works so well. But now we move into the real horror of this film, which is the second act. And mm-hmm. Branson, do you kind of want to just break down what happens in that act? Yeah. So uh, he he's trying to figure out. He does a, a test with uh, stakes where he's just trying to get a read on like what happens to organic matter as it's passed along. He transports one stake and then cooks them both and then tests out which one, uh, you know, what the difference is between them. Yeah. Uh, which is funny because... Uh, there's a continuity error. They switched the stakes. Oh, do um, they? Yeah. I, I have it up on, on the goofs page on IMDb. 
in the steak experiment, Seth cuts the meat into two pieces and teleports the larger one. Uh, and um, when Seth gives her a piece of the smaller uh, steak and says, now try this teleported half, she finds that it tastes synthetic. But mm. he transported the bigger half, and that wasn't like him trying to mislead, because if it was, it wouldn't have led to the realization that the computer was incorrectly encoding things. Yeah. Um, so Can I tell you, the one issue, yeah. my biggest issue in this movie, is I would never eat that steak. That comes <laughs> yeah, out of was... the transport after that bad. Oh no, absolutely incident, not. There's no way I'm touching that. I'm like, you're you can taste it. Yeah, that's why I'll she, record she... you tasting it. I don't she... mind watching you. I'll be right there with you. But there is no way that steak is going in going my in mouth. my mouth. Yeah, I the the <laughs> she Gina Davis. She's too loyal. Or, yeah, Veronica puts it in her mouth and she goes, "Oh, it tastes synthetic," and then spits it back out immediately. And I'm like, "Yeah, that's about as fast as you should have spit it out." Yeah, no um, way would I have ever chosen that. But yeah. it does lead him to figure out the answer to the flesh yeah. and how to compose the pro how to program the computer mm -hmm. i should say and that logic makes sense because you know computers aren't mind readers you have to be very you have to have diction with computers yes um that's why you know code when you're coding javascript especially or you know c plus plus or you know any one of those coding languages um you, know, you need to be so specific otherwise everything breaks yeah uh but that and makes this... me want to know what he typed into the computer to teach it. <laughs> and this leads to such, this leads to the next act where the real horror starts happening. He solves the problem of the flesh. He is able to transport the uh, monkey mm -hmm. and it works this time. And yeah. he gets so excited. And then he runs Veronica... up and hugs him what was right that? out of the booth, out of the telepod. The baboon comes out and hugs him. Yes. Yeah, such a sweet moment with I Jeff Goldblum and monkeys. And of course, he it's gets hard along to determine. It's hard to determine which one has the better hair, if it's the monkey or Goldblum's mullet in that scene. <laughs> That's but true. they're both pretty equal. I think and, I think Goldblum has the monkey beat. Yeah, maybe. And the next scene, Veronica this whole time has been dealing with this douchey boss who's literally the worst. Oh, he went off the rails almost too quickly to believe. Yeah, and boss slash ex-boyfriend. Yeah, so he's threatening her to publish her story without her permission and mm -hmm. he'll run it in the magazine. So she goes off to deal with it. And this leaves Seth Rundle jealous because he's wondering if she's not actually as into him as he believes. So he starts getting drunk and well, there's a few things you should never do drunk, but one of them is drunk science. And that's exactly <laughs> what Seth science. Rundle starts doing. Mm -hmm. He gets drunk and he decides to go into the teleport and teleport himself and yes. it's such a subtle detail but you start slowly hearing the buzzing noise of a fly mm -hmm. it's and such it starts... a it's it's a great yep. short form um gun in the first act where it's like if you show a gun in the first act you better shoot that gun in the third act uh -huh. um and you know it shows the fly in you know the first act quote unquote of this scene is the baboons kind of tracking it as it's buzzing around and then you hear it all the way up into uh you know the teleportation of yes and it comes Seth. back one more time later but we'll get to that in a yeah. second but so he gets in he transports himself 
you hear this fly, but you never see the fly actually. Oh, it you makes you so it. nervous. He comes out and he's fine. He's actually legitimately fine. If anything, and I don't know how you do it, Goldblum looks sexier. I don't know how, <laughs> but he's just because somehow... he's not wearing clothes, Ben. Maybe, maybe it's just because just because of Goldblum. Oh, but tisk, tisk, he comes boy. out and he's just like perfect. <laughs> And the hair somehow, from... I think the hair somehow got better in that scene. I wrote another <laughs> note with where I just said, God, look at that hair. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But so he comes out of this. And he feels amazing. He, Gina Davis comes back. They make up, which mm-hmm. is great. They don't have this long, prolonged fight about it. He just She just simply explains what happened, and he forgives her. They go back. Uh, he does some other things. They have some relationships again for which nice. he goes hours and hours. And mm-hmm. she's just like, what is this stamina you have? And yeah. then the next scene, this is where you get it. The fly comes back and he catches the fly and crushes it. And he's just like kind of amazed that he catched the fly. And Francis, I'm going to tell you, this was not a realistic scene because as someone who has tried catching a fly and has come really close, <laughs> you always wake oh. up or talk to the person right next to you and be like, did you see that? I almost got the fly. And oh, in this case, if he yeah. caught the fly, he's waking her up. Oh, absolutely. A uh, short anecdote about a fly. Yeah. Um, in uh, eighth grade at the sitting around the um, lunch table, uh, a kid in at one of the lunch tables took off his necklace and was tracking a fly that was buzzing around and he flicked the necklace and missed and they tried it again and flicked it and we all watched 15 kids <laughs> all watched as this fly was sniped out of midair Bro. by a little no kid way. with a fighting necklace and we all just watched <laughs> it hit the table and we all erupted into this oh my god and i've never seen i've never seen 15 kids go absolutely ape yeah crap insane in such a quick turnaround it was like zero to 60 in two seconds it was great but so he catches the fly yeah and he starts doing some gymnastics where he's just all of a sudden he's just like he's like i feel amazing he tells gina davis you gotta go in you gotta do this like you're gonna feel amazing it's a drug it's a drug is what he's taking at that moment a perfectly benign drug yes that's how he describes it perfectly benign drug he has the energy of someone hyped up on like the best trip of their lives (laughs) and of course a trip always has to come down seth brundle more like meth brundle (laughs) i'll be here all week yeah and it comes down and they get into this argument where he's like, you know what? If you don't want to do it, I'm going to find a girl who's willing to do it. So Go into he, the teleporter, that is. Yes, go into the teleporter. Mm-hmm. He goes to a bar. And Branson, what does oh. happens at that bar? Oh, the bar. That, that like, made my chest tighten. Um, the uh, During this whole scene, or during this whole sequence, from him catching the fly to him going to the bar, you see these little feats of strength. You see hairs sprouting from cuts. Um, little coarse hair sprouting from cuts on his back. Um, you know, all, you see his face kind of getting a little gross. And, um, you know, it's all these, you know, little foreshadows, these creepy side effects that something's amiss. And then at the bar, he arm wrestles this dude uh, for the hand of a lady um, because he's a lot fought more than Veronica. a hand, but yes. Yes, yes. He's, he's fought for. Uh, 
her the, honor. Yeah, the girl that uh, these guys are like trying to go after. Uh, and he gets into this arm wrestle with this guy and starts like sweating in his or no, I, was it the enzyme? Was it like a that, digestive enzyme enzyme or was it just like sweat and like grossness? That I can't tell you because I don't remember. I don't know. But as they're arm wrestling, uh, Seth wins and he wins by uh, breaking the man's wrist and giving him a compound fracture. Yes. Uh, which and is the woman gross. still goes home with him. Yeah. Let's, and she, let's not forget that she's just like, wow, you're really strong. Yeah, very nonchalantly. She was yeah. like, oh, she but was making jokes about Mark losing his hand. Like, You bro, just see the bones just... sticking out. Oh, and it's, it's gross. It, it's just yeah. another moment where you're just like, oh, this is getting. And my, again, still not the worst we've enough. gotten to. Yeah. My, so she my, goes home with ugh. him. Uh, Gina Davis comes back to the apartment, discovers it, and she gives the iconic line, no, be afraid. Be very, very afraid. afraid. Branson, I was talking to you earlier about mm -hmm. a fact about this movie. I'm sure you didn't know. Mel Brooks secretly produced this movie. What? Yes. Mel Brooks was a producer on this movie. No. And he kept it a secret because he didn't want anyone to know he was on it because they he thought people would take it comedically if he was involved on it. So oh. he was on set helping. He, he comes up with that tagline, be afraid, be very afraid. You're kidding me. Yes. So Mel Brooks is... Uh, a part of this film, and it's a really interesting thing because it's just not a Mel Brooks movie. But I just want to oh, throw that on the side. That and is that is shocking. At this point, you see the boils on Goldblum developing, and it's such subtle makeup work because at first it's just a few mm -hmm. blemishes, little hairs. Then mm -hmm. as the night goes on, it gets worse. worse and then that and morning they wake up, he's just sweating. It's you're starting to see some boils popping. It looks mm -hmm. like some some patchiness in yes. his hair. It's great body horror and then that's when she's like those are fly hairs i took them to a lab it took them forever to realize but those are insect hairs we realize he's transforming into a fly mm -hmm. he does and, the uh, yes yeah before he does the analysis it's my least favorite scene probably okay, I, I i had to skip it a little bit I uh, are we talking the fingernails yeah yep that the fingernails is, and the teeth to it's me like, I've had dreams like that that are just awful. To me, this, even if it's not the most grotesque scene, this is the scene that I cringe the hardest watching oh, it, is the it, fingernails. Oh, and it was, ugh. It's such a good Cronenberg moment because none of us can relate to us obviously having our body change quite like that, but we can all relate to the pain of like oh. losing a fingernail or having you that have fear. the phantom pains of it yeah and you like so when feel you're it. watching it you're just like oh ah, no stop it yeah it's such a guttural like that's that's where the realism is so blurred yeah and which is the terrifying part it's the uncanny valley it's so disgusting that scene i didn't skip it i but i did kind of close my eyes a few times because i'm just like i can't take this emotion that i'm feeling right now in it. <laughs> and the next scene we get the shot of the brundle fly as they call it mm -hmm. half the, man, the computer half analysis fly. no not that oh yes i'm talking about the actual reveal of the brundle fly yes. and it's such a good reveal first you see the back of his head and you see the hairs gone then you see the full body shot but it's far away 
mm-hmm. then you see the close-up of the face and the makeup. Oh, it's... Branson, when you saw that makeup, please tell me your reaction. Oh, it was... I was, like, impressed, grossed out. Um, and what really sold it, and this is, you know, part of what makes Goldblum such a magical presence in this movie, um, he plays this man progressing into these primal insect instincts so well um and it helps to sell just this disgusting pupa like presence and this disgusting pupa like um look that he has and like he has these special contacts that make one eye look larger than another mm-hmm. um and he just looks so foreign and so alien and his quick you know jerky head motions and his his sort of like looking around um just like adds to this idea that that he is becoming this insect sort of creature yeah uh which you know leads perfectly i think into the full-on metamorphosis the final act yeah we can kind of do a rapid fire cut of of what happens so i'll just hit it first she has a pregnancy she is pregnant which panics the crap out of her which of course it would because she's like We've what had is a it? relationship. What part of the relationship did this happen? Is this going to come out as an insect, a fly? So she goes. She decides to basically uh, get rid of the baby. Brundlefly comes back. Brundle, sorry, Brundle discovers that she is pregnant. And this being his last attachment to humanity as he sees it, he mm-hmm. needs her to deliver the baby. Yeah. Because to him, this is the last proof that he is human is this child Mm -hmm. so he breaks in to the lab takes her back to the lab and that gets us to the last 10 minutes of this movie which are visceral because at this point he is the brundle fly as he calls himself and it is it's absolutely rapid fire um stathis shows up with a shotgun um and before he can uh you know brundle reveals himself from the rafters and you see this mummified version of brundle of the brundle fly and um as stathis is about to take a shot um the brundle fly throws up digestive enzymes on him and dissolves his hand dissolves his foot and you can see it melting um slowly too yes very similar to the effect in um in uh, indiana jones raiders of the lost ark yeah. yeah in raiders of the lost ark where where they gaze upon the ark and, and uh yeah sorry go yeah uh, it's it's this gross and you can see like the panic in in stathis's uh face as he's just mm-hmm. like uh, going into shock you know which makes sense yeah and he just rundle decides that if he, they all if him gina davis and the baby inside her if they all basically morph into one they'll be the ultimate being basically that's his he's now just gone full crazy yeah at this point he puts her in the pod stathos wakes up shoots her out of it well wait sorry go for it she uh she tries to take her into the pod she accidentally rips off brundlefly's jaw oh god yeah this scene's it's gross when he fully turns into the fly uh huh. You oh, see all the good. all the shreds of the human. Of hum- yeah. All the skin falls off. Blech. Oh my 
god this that's such a visceral disgusting reaction you have mm-hmm. and the, the you, it's so gruesome um the metamorphosis is but it's extremely in, uh impressive even for the time yeah which just really goes to show the power of uh practical effects and prosthetics yo side note just based on that uh scene it's actually earlier in the movie but it relates pretty well here the scene where his ear falls off earlier in the movie gina davis did not know that was going to happen oh so her genuine her reaction is genuine genuine but so regardless back into this scene it happens it's disgusting to watch i'm using disgusting so much but i don't know another there's no other word revolting vile it happens they go into the telepod uh she's about to be transported they're about to be one staphos whatever his name is wakes up shoots her out of it so she gets open brundle fly tries breaking out and then the teleportation happens as he's halfway in which means not only does he transport he becomes fused with the the fly and the teleportation machine (laughs) so the final scene of him is just this mishmash of grotesque half metal mortally wounded kind of man just nothing he is truly just broken at this point and the scene that's always parodied from the 1950 vincent price one is where the flies in there he's like kill me help me me." there was no there was no homage to that no the but it's done so much more poignantly and it's simply Goldblum or the Brundle fly, what the Brundle thing at this point. Yeah. <laughs> he puts the shotgun to his head and Gina Davis is just screaming, no, no, no. Because even despite the fact that he is not Brundle anymore, it's still Brundle to her. Right. And at that point, he just puts the shotgun to his head and she pulls the trigger and his, he explodes and she cr- drops the shotgun and says, oh God, Oh God, oh God. And the scene cuts to black and the credits, credits say roll. the fly. What an ending. <sighs> and this is uh my hill to die on, Branson. <laughs> the this is one of the greatest Shakespearean tragedies we've ever seen in film, in the sense that it is not a Shakespeare movie, but it <laughs> oh, takes no. the it takes the ideas of Shakespeare's tragic characters, the the hubris, the fall from grace, mm-hmm. the tragedy of the romance, the love story, and infuses it all together. And it works because you believe this relationship between Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis to the point where at the end when she has to shoot him and kill him, you feel the love that they still have and you feel her breaking knowing that she has to do this to the person that she loves and Mm -hmm. it's really interesting when this movie comes out 1986 we're going a little long but this is kind of my final point 1986 we're in the middle of the aids epidemic in the united states and uh cronenberg doesn't say that this is a film that is necessarily made as a response to that epidemic going on but for anyone who's ever lost a family member to cancer or a disease where you kind of watch them decay over time, mm-hmm. this story is really relatable because you see the pain, you see the 
the science, mm. I guess, involved with all of it. Yeah, And you absolutely. just see them decaying away. And it's, I think that's why this movie works because it's such a visceral reaction. Yeah, because it, is, even it though, is very poignant in that yeah. in that sense. That's a, yeah. The Shakespearean parallel is a very good way of of putting that. Yeah, and even though we obviously can't relate to transforming into a fly, the reason this <laughs> film works emotionally is because we can relate to see someone going down this not path yeah. but just almost their withering. body changing weakening yeah, withering away and that's where our emotions oh, kicking because we've yeah, seen that we've sad. seen that happen to people we love but so that's mm. just how the fly ends branson uh before we get into the great debate is there any final thoughts you had because i just kind of went with mine oh um a yeah i your shakespearean point i don't know if i could say it any better than that um totally gross as a movie uh body horror uh is not my cup of tea it made me not want to watch another uh cronenberg uh um, yeah i don't piece. see us doing another one on this film i feel no. like this is the cronenberg i'd have to look at his filmography to make sure but i feel like this is the cronenberg movie yeah. i feel like most degree this is probably his best work yeah this is the this is the one or uh yeah, I think this is probably one of his opus opuses. Yeah, um, magnum opus. But yeah, I just a, a very gross um, outer coat to this Shakespearean tale. That's yeah. that's a very good way to put it. And so, Branson, you ready for the, the great, great debate? Debate, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the great debate. He pulled you the know mic your down fighters, from the ceiling, Branson. And Ben, this week they will be asking each other questions as they do every week and fighting to see which one has the best answers. You guys decide and you will decide by letting us know who has it. I'm going to go first with my question in this corner is Ben Friedman. Ben, what is your question? Well, thank you, announcer Ben. And Branson, my question for you I'm rolling my is, eyes. while looking up facts about this movie, I found out that there were a few other actors who were considered for the role of Seth Brundle. If you say Jeff one Wilson of them is O.J. Simpson, I'm going to throw something. It's not O.J. Simpson this week. But <laughs> okay, good. hopefully in another few weeks, it will be O.J. again. Because this is the 80s and the juice is king. Yeah, the, the juice, juice is, is loose. loose. <laughs> but so I'm going to give you the three actors' yeah. names. And I want you to tell me which one would make the best replacement for Jeff Goldblum's character and why. So here are the three actors, Michael Keaton, John Lithgow, and Mel Gibson were the three other actors considered. Oh, I'd say Mel Gibson. Okay, go for it. And then I'm going to give you a rebuttal. Okay. I'm going to add a rebuttal because I want to. I would say particularly um, Mel Gibson in more recent years, uh, Mm, around the 2000s, because that's really where he started to uh reveal his full kind of maniacal tendencies yes um and he i don't know if megalomaniac is the right word um but he he's one of those you know icons of like kind of losing your cool at key times sort of like the bill o'reilly will do it live sort of level uh and i think and i think if if um mel gibson had been uh dr seth brundle uh we would have seen 
a very early tell of, of what was him. Yeah, of him kind of being that weird, teeth grittingly crazy sort of guy. I think he could have done it legitimately, jokes aside, I think he could have done that role very well. But No, I agree. I, I don't think I would have chosen anyone over Jeff Goldblum. No, I agree. I think Goldblum plays it so well. I was going to actually give a rebuttal, but I actually agree with your answer a lot. I was going to say personally Keaton, because I think Keaton does the eccentricities. My only problem with Gibson... Okay, not my only problem with Gibson, but as an <laughs> actor, my only problem with Gibson... Good save. ...is... I don't think he would be able to pull off the smartness of the character that's required for the character and maybe some of the neuroticness. I think you're right, though. He pulls off that crazy energy kind of perfectly. And in the 80s, he does rock that amazing Moa. I was simply leaning towards Keaton solely because I think he has that neurotic energy and brains to him really well. That's very very fair. You actually put a really interesting point with that Gibson one, so you might win it this week. (laughs) (laughs) oh well um my uh (laughs) question is significantly less interesting um in a in a bracket let's say if we have a super smash brothers ultimate uh eight player smash round with uh jeff goldblum's rendition of the fly yeah uh, you know the fully formed brundle fly how do you think he would fare against uh other famous bugs in movies if they were scaled up appropriately i'll give you some examples yeah give Uh, me some bugs flick from a bug's life he crushed that little (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) i hate to admit that that's the only famous bug i'm trying to think think uh he'd destroy flick from a bug's life he would crush Woody Allen's bug uh, ant from uh, ants. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's uh, see what if, ooh, one. what about Barry B. Benson from ooh, a B movie? From the B movie, eh? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think, I think that's a more interesting fight because I mean we do know Barry B. Benson has the power of law on his side, as he showcased in the B movie. So mm-hmm. that's a more interesting fight. But again, you just have to assume the fact that he's an 180 pound fly with uh, that acid is going to be fair. I will say, while he might be a top four contender, because we're getting into March Madness now, he's <laughs> going to get knocked out by the number one seed, who would probably be Mothra, Mothma oh, from Mothra? Godzilla. Yeah, Mothra from <laughs> oh, Godzilla. Well, yeah, like, I, Mothra's Godzilla's, got like radioactive. Yeah. He's got the radioactive like the side. They're like the Gonzaga too. of this year's March Madness, where Mothra is just going to run through the whole thing. Yeah, and that's crush fair. Them all. So... I see, realistically, I see Brundlefly being a final eight exit. All right, last seed. Uh, where do you think he would rank um, Jiminy Cricket? Jiminy Cricket? Jim, Jiminy Cricket shouldn't even be in this contest. That guy's going to be out. I mean, I guess he has the magic, so you give him a 16 seed. I think so, he's dying right after Flick. He's, yeah, I'll give I don't him see seventh him. place. Yeah, I don't see him. He probably just like falls off the edge because he doesn't know how to use his umbrella. <laughs> so that's my answer. That would be me. Game. That'd be me because I'm pretty bad at Smash Bros. Wonderful. And specifically trying to save myself from the cliff. But yeah. guys, that is our episode. And oh, sorry, I have a special guest right here. Oh, hi, Lisa. Oh. oh. 
Adios. I was like, what is he, where is he going with this? I and thought that, that is, was a fantastic ending. <laughs>